Hey, this is Ed Hamill, Hamill on trial, driving constantly through the United States and around the world. And when I'm looking for something inventive, I'm listening to Signal to Noise. Welcome, everyone, to Episode 8 of the Signal to Noise podcast. I am your host, Aaron. You can check us out on the web at www.signaltonoise.fm. Um, I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. My username there is SGNL, the number two, and then NZ, as well as I've been putting some stuff up on SoundCloud lately. So if this is your first time turning into the show, or tuning into the show, rather, um, what this, we're all about here is basically talking about guitars, gear, gadgets that help you make music, and of course the musicians that make this music as well. Um, really heavily focused on the gear. So today we're going to talk to an artist, his name is Hamill on Trial, uh, Ed Hamill. He's a guy I've been following since probably about 2003 or 2004, somewhere in there, uh, since a friend uh, lent me his CD, and when I say lent, I mean forced me to listen to um, until I loved it, and we listened to it everywhere we went for the longest time. The CD was called Tough Love. That was my first introduction to Hamill, and if you're going to start with Hamill on trial, um, if I play a couple of songs here and you have no idea what I'm talking about or what's going on, um, <clears throat> I want you to, to, to go back and check out his stuff. So start with CD, Tough Love. I think it's one of his best studio CDs he's ever put out. And then next, I recommend either of two live albums, either Ed's Not Dead or um, my personal favorite, The Terrorism of Everyday Life. Now, I do want to warn you, Ed is not for the faint of heart. He tells it like it is. He doesn't sugarcoat. Think of Ted Nugent if Ted Nugent was a little bit more liberal-minded, right? So um, it's kind of like him and Ted Nugent are almost like a yin and yang now that I say that out loud. They're both outrageous. They're both amazing guitar players. I wonder what would happen if we put them in a room together. But anyway, Ed's a crazy guy, and he is right now trying to raise money for an album um, through something called Kickstarter.com. Now, if you're not familiar with Kickstarter, what Kickstarter does is it allows artists, and I do mean every artist, whether you're a painter, a musician, whether you're designing a new product. Heck, there's a guy building a guitar that was put up a campaign um, out there. He's working on guitar designs. So any project that you can think of that you need to fund, you can basically fund through your fans or through whatever else, people who are just looking to contribute and to you know be part of something, be part of a cause. So Ed put up a modest goal of $7,000 to record his next album. And um, he's already reached that goal, and we've got 16 days to go. In fact, he's almost up to eight grand. And that's really what I wanted to talk to you guys about today. I, I called Ed up, and I, I wanted to interview him and talk to him about the Kickstarter program, what's going on, because I wanted to get the word out and help him you know, raise the money that he needs to raise, because I think he's a great artist. I think he's a great player. Um, and I really want to see this record you know, come to the light of day. It's been a while since we've had a new Hamlin trial record, and i got to say I'm really excited to get one. So I called Ed up. We were talking about the project and what it does. And it's a really, really neat system. So if you're a band, and and especially for bands, for young bands, young band can get a pretty decent fan base. I know, you know, back 10 years ago, we were able to draw a decent crowd to um, to the different venues that we play, the different bars, that sort of thing. So what it lets you do is it lets you put up different levels of donation. And if your fans, you know, reach a certain amount, then you'll give them something in return. So for example, Ed for the $10 level has got He's got a CD up, or I'm sorry, actually the digital download. At the $25 level, you get a personalized signed copy of the CD, a digital download, and a used guitar pick. So 
neat little things like that, different things that you can, um, you know, pledge out to your fans, which is pretty cool. And so that's what we're going to talk to Ed about today, as well as some of his gear that's out there. Um, and then we also have well, a couple other little segments here that we'll see as we're going on. But so before we get to our interview with Hamlin Trial, I do want to play one of my one, one probably one of my favorite songs, um, just just lyrically, energy wise. It's called "The Meeting." It, this is from the album "Ed's Not Dead." Um, amazing, amazing disc, start to finish. And well, after that song, we'll get into the interview. monitor there, Larry, my man. Let's rock this joint, huh? People ask me, what's going down? What kind of stuff when I come around? It's one guy and one guitar, so it's gotta be folk, oh man, I run they are. Gotta be a meeting, 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 gotta be a meeting. You'll be the song for guitar and rock and roll. The World Trade Center's a shack If it's puzzle of magic dragon, the Picasso is a hack It's bullshit unplugged just like a monkey on my back That's your talking Chuck Berry, then he ain't talking chat I'm rocking like the Clash, it's acoustic kind of meanery I'm as bad as Nine Inch Nails, except I don't do machinery A little bit of wood, and a little bit of wire Call up Smokey the Bat, cause there's gonna be a fire And if I ain't sweating, then it ain't no fun I'm like the Beastie Boys, except I'm only one To study the artiste I started hearing voices But not like Judas Priest Mostly from the old guys That go whisper in the back Like a muddy water saying Hey, it's on the attack Though by pissing in his hat, it's a land of many paths. They're in 
only one right way, and I will keep on rocking that till my dying day. It's a land of many paths, there ain't only one right way, and I will keep on rocking that until my dying day. Thank you very much. Johnny will be right out. I think it'll be two weeks Thursday of a five-week campaign. And the last I checked, uh, we were at 91%. So, you know, you don't get the money unless you fulfill your goal. Um, but I'm pretty, so I'm pretty confident that that'll happen. And, of course, it's always nice if you can go over because... There's a lot unforeseen. I, I was pretty conservative when I was doing it, but I, I yeah. wanted to sort of make sure that, that I did it. You know, last year I kept saying, oh, I'm going to do a record. I, I thought someone would intervene last year. I thought someone, I had been working on these tunes, and I thought maybe a producer or the label might say, okay, it's time you did something, uh, get this out. But that didn't happen. I, I and Maybe everything happens for a reason. So this year I decided I had to be uh, proactive, you know, proactive about it and uh so if nothing else it'll just make me absolutely do it you know yeah no that's fantastic like i um i was excited to see the the kickstarter uh that you had up there and can i tell you that the video that you and uh, detroit did is absolutely hysterical thanks you know i i don't know if people it's only it's funny i've got way more backers than i've got hits on that video and i don't know if it's not registering the hits or people don't know that that little uh, that they should be clicking on that to see the video, or maybe God bless them, they're thinking, oh, this is some kind of video pitch. I don't need to see it. You know, I'm going to do it. But I, it hasn't gotten a lot of hits. So thanks. I thought it was it, it was a first take. Obviously, a first take. He was very sincere and organic in his response to the whole thing. You know. Yeah. And I thought I thought well, this is the way to go because some of them. I mean, I I looked. My manager was the one. He pitched me. He said, hey you know, we should do a Kickstarter thing. And uh, I wasn't even familiar with it. And then initially it seemed kind of, I don't know, I was, uh, before I before I had investigated their site and saw all the different sort of artistic and inventive projects that they, you know, get off the ground, uh, be it uh, clo- a clothing line, uh, a movie, a documentary, uh, you know, somebody who's inventing a new hearing aid. It's pretty amazing the stuff that, you know, you can get off the ground with this thing. And I initially I was like, whoa, this sounds a little like begging for money. This is kind of weird. And he said, no, you should check this out. Um, and then there was a lot of videos, some of which were incredibly sophisticated. I was like, whoa, you know, how much time did they spend crafting this video? I don't know if I want to go that. So thankfully that, you know, whatever it took, however long that video is, two minutes, it took a whopping two minutes to do it. <laughs> I remember uh, the first time I sat down and watched it, I immediately emailed it to one of my friends who's also a big fan of yours. 
and then I call my wife in the room, like, sweetie, you gotta, you gotta watch this, because she's, you know, she's been, been to your shows with me, and we're both fans, and um, when you get to the part about songs for parents who enjoy drugs, we lost it. Cool, good. Yeah, that was, well, that was scripted. We had little pieces, there was a tripod, and I had little pieces of paper there that were going to be his response, you know. But, yeah, yeah. I didn't know, and then I didn't know. He sort of threw the line away, and I was like, hmm, I wonder if people can understand what the line is that he responds with, you know. That was awesome. All right, so so is the album, I guess, written? Are you ready to go into the studio, or is this more for production? Uh, like, what's what's the goal, I guess, the, the or the next steps here after your Kickstarter project? Uh... But I mean, abso- okay. I can tell you, I can tell you the absolute things I intend to do, and then what I think the sort of ambiguous things after that. I definitely there's a studio that I've got ballparked in Brooklyn that that seems to have a cool vibe. They deal a lot with the anti-folk crowd down at the, a place called the Sidewalk Cafe, which is, was at least at one point. I don't know whether it is anymore. It's sort of the home of anti-folk. And, um, and, it, and it's, an, it's, it's going to allow me to go in there for four or five days and see how three or four songs would come out. Let me know if I can work with this guy. Absolutely get some foundations and stuff. And in a perfect world, maybe utilizing, oh, I don't know, less than a quarter of the budget, uh, come out of there with four or five crafted things. And then what I do with that after that, I, in, you know, proactively, I will probably pass those around to a few people like my management and a couple other people whose opinions I trust and just say, hey, do you think I'm on the right track here stylistically, sonically? You know, is this... Is this as blistering as I am live? Yet, I really hope with this record to cast a wider net because there's, you know, just, I mean, I have a very, God bless them, I have a very enthusiastic fan base, obviously, in that I can raise almost $7,000 in less than two weeks, but I don't have as large a fan base as Lord knows I wish I had. So I'm I'm wondering what it's going to take to, without compromising sort of any of what I am live, to sort of get this to a few more people. So, I mean, that's the first thing. And then after that, you know, will a label, I mean, ostensibly, I'm still on Righteous Babe, but, you know, they who, and I have a wonderful relationship with them, and and they are in very much the same sort of situation that every label's in right now, which is, you know, they have reduced uh, income, and they have reduced manpower, and I think their attitude is, hey, we'll put it out, you know, if you want us to. However, if you find a better situation, God bless you. We love you. Good luck. You know, I think that's their kind of situation. So will I investigate my other options? I absolutely, I have to at this point. So that, I think with those three or four songs as a calling card, I will investigate my other options. When when you do your Kickstarter program you and, and you promise people, at different levels, what you're going to give them. You also tell them when they will receive those things. So in other words, in, on every level, you know, at the very base level, at the $10 level, for instance, they'll get the digital download of the album. And at the other levels, as you go up, you can get canvases, you can get house concerts, you can get other stuff it, it, as we raise the money. But the, the dig- all of the stuff isn't ballparked till October because I know... 
realistically, I, I, even if I was to get the record completely recorded in March and April of this year, it still wouldn't see the light of day just because of graphics and all other kinds of stuff. Realistically, it wouldn't see the light of day till September. So I gave my side, I said, you know what, tell everybody they'll get the album in October. That way I won't have everybody screaming at me in July, like, where's my album? Well, that's fantastic. So I'm really hoping that, you know, that as a fan base here, all of us pull through. And again, I'm hoping to, to try and draw up some new fans and new supporters for you, um, you know, by doing this here today. Because I know, like I said, you were close to that $7,000 mark. If you could double that, that would probably really help you out along the way, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, and I know, yeah, for a lot of different reasons. I mean, you know, I don't... Currently, my my joke these days is genius isn't paying what it used to. You know, currently, (laughs) the, the, the arts in America have never been you know, funded and never been particularly respected. I, I, I'll, I yeah. make the joke on stage. I, it isn't really a joke, but somehow it gets laughs. But, you know, if, if a 21-year-old young woman brings home her date and her date is a, a lawyer, a politician, or a police officer, her her parents invariably are like, oh, great. You know, if she says, oh, he's a musician or a painter or, God forbid, he's a poet, you know, there's a scrutinizing eye and there's a, you know, are you going to rethink this? And and I'm thinking, wow, you know, most musicians, artists, and poets I know are infinitely better than most cops, politicians, or lawyers. I know, you know, they don't make as much money, but they, you know, they're, they're a more righteous breed, I think. And so it's never been easy to be an artist in America, but it particularly, you know, in light of there's just, uh, cut funding on everything and the arts have been hit very, very hard. And a lot of this, you know, I'm out in the road dogging it out constantly, 250 dates a year still. And there had to be, you know, my management came and said, look, this is, you know, it's, it, it's killing you and it's killing your car. And it, we got to figure out a way to, uh, you know, part of the reason that I, I write songs for people, uh, particularly around the holidays, this really is effective, you know, for a couple hundred bucks, I would write you or your significant other a song. And it's a great gift, and they love it, and it's personalized. And if you're a Hamill fan, it's it's me. And I do canvases. And I mean that, you know, if you do a canvas for five or $100 or $1,000, not only do you feel like, whoa, this is cool, I'm creating art, this is awesome, and you're proud of it, but also it, you know, that's three gigs sometimes, a thousand dollars, you know, and and uh, without killing yourself. And I love to play, but until I get to the point where I'm filling small theaters, uh, it's tougher than it ever was. So yeah, I mean, you know, back to the original thing, were was fourteen thousand or twenty thousand to come in, it would absolutely allow me the ability to take two or three months and really get the best. I, it's very important that I make the best album I've ever made at this point. Well, and I have no doubt that that's going to be the album because if I'm not mistaken, I think a couple of the songs that were in the Day Trotter sessions are probably going to end up on this album. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. I can't remember what those what those songs were, but yeah, I'd be the happiest man in the world definitely when I cry. I think those I definitely did those two tunes and yeah, they would be on there. You know, I've been working these, I've been playing, boy, the great majority of what these songs will be live uh, for a couple of years. You know, part of it has to do with my marriage at the shitter, you know. So, I mean, a lot of those songs were either 
initially written in the heartbreak of that or written post that when I started to, you know, all of a sudden feel better. And of course, when I started to feel better, it was like I hadn't felt good so long that it was really exponentially uh, high, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the day trotter sessions. So how did those come about? Like how how did that happen? Because I, I found out about it because I got an email, I think, from um, from your management. And I'm like, whoa, what's this? And I, I logged in. I'm like, oh, my goodness, it's, it's the Happiest Man in the World song. Because I saw you do that with Rambo back in, I think, March of last year uh, here right. in Pittsburgh. I saw that. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, once again, I mean, Doug is, you know, a young guy with his finger on the pulse. He, he was a fan of a lot of uh, – I mean, he used to own a venue, uh, Doug Lauren, owned a venue called Broad Street Music, which was a club in New Bern, North Carolina. Matter of fact, I, if I'm not mistaken, it, it passed on to another owner, and now I think he's getting it – he's trying to – get it back. I think he may be opening the doors. Anyway, and, and when I'm in that sort of, I think that sort of went, he initially had a, a, a vinyl store and then he uh, got a lot of, and he was like a young guy, he's like 24, 25, and he had this vinyl store and then he, uh, he, this morphed into the live venue and, and this was kind of as that whole Americana thing really exploded in the South. And so he had his finger on a lot of the, the pulse of these bands that went on to be much bigger bands. And so he consequently knows, I mean, he a lot of these bands had recorded for this Kickstarter. I think they record at one or two bands. You know, it's just like huge archive and glut of live music. And so he was a huge fan of the Kickstarter thing. And said to me, "Hey, you got to do this." And then they said, "Yeah, come on down. Let's, let's you know, we'll record you." And then it just happened to coincide with Storm Apocalypse, which was, I think, the biggest storm that Chicago had ever had in like I don't know the last hundred years or some bullshit. Wow. So me and my girlfriend hopped in the car and drove. Uh, I think we had to cancel the the first two gigs, Harrisburg and Pittsburgh, because we it was under ice and then did all the rest of the game. It was, a, it was an insane thing, but made it to Iowa. I drove all the way to Iowa and through storm pockets. It was on, I mean, no one could believe it that we were there. And, uh, you know, he said, record it. I, you know, and I, 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 I don't know. I mean, you know, it obviously, and Doug is able to utilize it a lot as it's, it's almost like one little press kit all at once. You know, when he's yeah. pitching me to places, it's like, bang, you know, click on this and you you know what the guy does and you can hear the guy and you know so I mean it's it's been very advantageous in that in light of how many thousands of musicians are on there I do wonder like you don't get lost in the sauce you know but it's if you know it that's cool you know I I love it I was so happy to see um, a just some new music from you quicker recordings and especially that song the happiest man in the world because I left oh. that show. When you, you know, the first time I heard the song, I was singing that for days, Hamill. I, oh, I just cool. love that song. Good. Well, thanks. Good. Thanks. You know, I mean, and, and the thing is, like, you know, like I don't, I, I don't think we talked this last time we talked, but you, you had the music where your sense of humor and your perspective on life will say, where if I'm having a good day, it's good stuff to listen to, and if I'm having a crappy day, it's even better stuff to listen to. All right. Great. <laughs> you know. Good. 
Great. Yeah, I, I just I'm, I'm a big fan. I, I love what you do here. So one last question, and then we'll let you go here. Let's talk a little bit about when you go into the studio. Like, like, how do you approach it? Do you take a bunch of guitars, or is it just you and the L double zero and going at it? I take a bunch of amps. I don't, I don't take a bunch of guitars. I, I bring okay. that guitar, and but that you know that the funny thing about the guitar is that guitar can be recorded in in so many different ways. You know, so I mean, what I plan to do. Because my girlfriend's young, too, and she's from Australia, and she's, you know, absolutely into, like, rock and roll and, and blues, and she's like, you know, it's you and the guitar has got to be the primary thing. You don't need a lot of shit around it, you know? And yeah. uh, so what I intend to do, and I don't know what they've got there, but I've got a couple of tube amps, and I've got a couple of amps that I use on stage. Those I will bring, and of course we'll mic it acoustic. And I think, you know, these three or four tunes that I'm talking about doing initially, and, you know, very well maybe the entire album is done there, and I have to field a couple things out. Um, the, I'll start with just, you know, me and, and the guitar, and then kind of sit back and say, you know, what does this need? You know, what minor things can we get? to you so yeah it's just me and the guitar it's just me and that guitar my guitar you know which That's i'm ridiculous, ridiculously dependent on but i <laughs> i don't really feel comfortable in anything else and i you know and i do think you know not dissimilar to what i was saying about the um uh the you know the glut i mean if there's it makes no sense to me to try to sound like anybody else i mean obviously I got to, you know, the only thing that's going to work is me being distinctively me, you know, I mean, to try to make it sound like, oh, I'm going to make this sound like the Black Keys, it would be stupid. We already have one of them, you know, I mean, <laughs> but, yeah. you know, I, I, I don't know. It's funny, you know, I, I meet people and they're huge, huge fans of what I do, and which is always wonderful and always flattering. And I, you know, I wonder maybe, you know, sometimes you think like I go to Europe and I draw, you know, hundreds of people in any one given place and I come to America and I don't. <laughs> and I wonder like, why is that? You know, I, I, I don't, the people that are there seem to love it. And every time I open for large audiences like for Hani, they seem to love it. And yet it, it has a very difficult time filling theaters, and I don't know if it's too aggressive for people. I mean, in, in terms of, always oh, a guy with an acoustic guitar. They're anticipating one thing, and then, holy shit, you know, this come off like a motorhead. How the fuck did this happen? You know, I don't know. You know? But, you know, I don't think that it's that you're too aggressive. I think that um, American audiences take themselves too seriously. The American audiences do? Yeah, I I agree with you. You know, I agree with you. I, I it's funny because I saw, I watched a, a, a documentary on Ian Drury. Do you know? Are you familiar with Ian Drury? I know the name, but I'm not sure who it is. He's a, he's a he was he, he came out in the punk thing. He was older too when it happened. I mean, he had been around playing what they called pub rock bands for years. And then when Stiff Records uh, came out and signed Elvis Costello and Nick Lowe and a lot of those things, Ian Drury was also signed. And he was older and he was kicking all their asses live. But and he was funny, and you know, but funny kind of like, you know, like a fucking uh, like a homeless guy funny. I mean, he had polio. Uh, he was a huge Gene Vincent rockabilly fan, and he was a brilliant brilliant lyricist, I, kind of like the Serge Gainsbourg. I mean, very sort of irreverent, sort of, uh, you know, body, uh, but also very literate, very 
one incredibly crafted songs. And, and he became, little by little, you know, he wrote that song, Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll, uh, Wake Up, I Want to Make Love to You. He had a lot of those kind of tunes. And, and uh, I was thinking as I was watching, I was like, man, I wonder if this guy w- w- could have made it in America. You know, I, I, it might have been true. I, th- I think you're right. I think that people sit around, they, they listen to Wilco. I don't know what the fuck Wilco's talking about, quite frankly. You know, I don't, obviously, I don't have the intellectual capacity to figure out, what, you know, the ambiguity of their lyrics. But to, to everybody, they're all guys in the audiences. They all look like math students, you know, math students. They're all kind of shaking their head very seriously. I'm thinking, really? Like, I don't, I don't get it. You know? Well, that was honest. That was brutally honest. That'll make me no Wilco fans right there, probably. <laughs> But, but you know, but that's that's what your music and what music in general should be about is that brutal honesty. I mean, look at Black Flag. Everywhere they went, everybody hated them. Now, you know, twenty years after they disbanded, people are like, oh, Black Flag, they're great. I know. Time they have so much crap. You know? I know. Yeah, you know, I, I saw. It's funny to say that. I played Harrisburg the other night. It actually was a great gig, and that was now that was weird, man. I played this gig Saturday night in Harrisburg. And the guy who is the promoter there is a guy by the name of Jersey Mike. He's a great guy. He's got great taste. Turned me on to some really good bands. And so at this, fe- so they had a festival at this place, and there was like eighteen bands, and they were all different. I mean, it was real weird, you know. I thought, and they were all really, like really. There was a hardcore band. There was like a country band. There was a bluegrass band. There was, uh, you know, some hip hop stuff, and it was all like really good, kind of cool, kind of political, you know, whatever. And I did my shtick and went over Gangbusters, you know. And I thought, well, how the fuck? It was like like Lollapalooza at the beginning when they said, oh, we're going to have, when it, later on it got all kind of metal, but I mean, at the beginning it was like uh, all these different, you know, Ice-T was playing with Black Flag or whatever. But I did see a kid, there was a young kid and he had the, the black, he had the four bars and he had the Black Flag tattoo, you know, yeah. and I'm thinking, wow, you know, like I wonder if this, he was kind of clean cut, you know, and I'm thinking, like I wonder if this kid would have really been in the crowd, you know, if he was in L.A. and, and checking out Black Flag. Like, he didn't seem... You're right. You know, I think retrospectively, it's a lot safer. I mean, that was a, that was like a fucking lifestyle commitment. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, I mean, I remember when I, when I was in my indie band days, I read uh, Get in the Van cover to cover, and that was like my Bible for a, yeah. for a gig, you know? You know, I'll tell you a funny story. My ex-wife uh, was not, you know, was not a hardcore fan. She had, she had really good taste in music. But but she taught English uh, at that time. Now, she's still working at a college, but she's doing it in the straight event. I and I had the spoken word thing, I think, which won, if I'm not mistaken, which won a Grammy, you know. And, of course, she liked Rollins in there because Rollins has always been nice to me. And so she liked him, you know, from afar, not really knowing who he was. But she had a respect for him because he was a, a good guy to me. And I, and I brought out, I said, and so, oh, and so it was like around Christmas time, we were playing each other music. We, it was one of those situations where we were going, okay, check out this one tune and, you know, sort of turning each other on to music. And I said, check out the first five minutes of the spoken word disc, get in the van. And so we put that on, and after five minutes, she goes, no, 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 keep playing. We ended up listening to the, the entire first disc. You know, she was riveted. And I, I think anybody, that, that thing, get in the van, and of course, this is probably a good thing in light of what we're talking about, the Kickstarter thing. Anybody with a dream, regarding, you know, when, when he says to his boss at the ice cream store, I'm, I'm out of here. And his boss says, you know, you're going to lose your shirt. You're, you got money in the bank. You got a job with a career. And he's going, yeah, but every time that van drives away, man, I'm just thinking, what the fuck am I doing with my life? Anybody with a dream would respond to get the van, regardless of their musical taste. Yep. I completely agree. Completely agree. Well, hey, Ed, I don't want to give too much of your time. 
So thank yeah, you so I much for, the for support, Aaron. But, yeah, good luck to you, and, and once again, thanks for the support. Well, I'm broke and then broke, and it's all up in smoke. I got zero. Gambled and beat, no shoes on my feet, I'm no hero. My luck is all lost at a horrible cost. I'm down, held the ground, and viewed as unsound. And I gotta say, I'm the happiest man in the world. When he ain't got nothing, they ain't got nothing they can take away. Got all the time in the world to check out this gorgeous day. Ain't got no cell phone, bill collectors leave me alone. Ain't got no unaffordable mortgage and no unaffordable home. And I gotta say, I'm the happiest man in the world. Now look at my friends, they're all like Jews and I'm rich. Some people get power, they act like fools, I never switch. I'm sitting on a park bench, I'm loving the sun, and I ain't got a nickel, and it sure is fun. And I gotta say, I'm the happiest man in the world. The more shit you got, the more shit you got that can break. Put down that cell phone and talk to me face to face I'm checking out people, I'm loving their ways And I ain't been broke up in all of my days And I gotta say, I'm the happiest man in the world Yeah, I gotta say, I'm the happiest man in the world So I hope you enjoyed that last track that you just heard. That was called um, The Happiest Man on Trial. Um, the first time I heard Hamill do that was back in April here in Pittsburgh. That was April of last year, 2011, wherein uh, him and Whammo came through town. And I gotta say, I love that song. I left the, the gig like I talked about in the interview, uh, just singing that song, singing that song, singing that song. I'm really glad that he did this at the Day Trotter Sessions, which is you know one of the things we also talked about in the interview. Um, so something else I wanted to touch on that Ed brought up in the interview that I've really been thinking about was the fact that he's dependent on that Gibson L double zero. So I certainly understand being dependent on a guitar. Um, I have played the same bass guitar since I was 13 years old. It's a 1985 Fender P bass, American made, um, nothing special about it at all. It is a stock Fender P bass, just nothing, no, 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 the fancy models are out of the time, just stock. It's got a maple fingerboard, which I've learned that um, I love. I love the sound of that. Stock pickups, again, nothing crazy, but there's nothing that feels like that bass to me. And I, you know, thought for the longest time that I was just spoiled. That was the first bass I ever played. So if it doesn't feel like that, I'm not gonna be able to play anything else. And um, I wrote a post on this on my blog called, you know, The Wand Chooses the Wizard, kind of a t tip of the hat to Harry Potter when they talk about, you know, the, your, the, the wand hums in your hand, you, you feel like this connection to it. And that's how I felt to my bass. And again, I started playing at a very young age, so maybe I just had developed an emotional attachment to it. And I've had a bunch of guitars over the years, as um, so has Ed Hamill. You know, he's had a bunch of guitars as well. 
And I think it's interesting that after a number of years and number of guitars changing hands, you find that one that just resonates with you. Now, again, mine started at 13, but I have another guitar that's done that to me recently because I was really starting to just be convinced I was never going to find an electric guitar I like to play. Like I have acoustic guitars that play well and that sort of thing. Um... My son has a strap, my daughter has a telly, those both play great, but they're fenders, so I figured, of course, I'm going to like that. But um, last, oh, was it last August? No, it might, it might be two years now. I think it was August 2010. Yeah, it was in August 2010. I bought off eBay a Washburn Dime 333 um, Dime Bolt Finish, uh, Dime Bag Daryl Signature Model Washburn, and the minute I got that guitar, like I just held it in my hand, and you felt that that connection. Like It felt like my P-Bass. I, I, I couldn't, I can't explain it. It was just, just something that, that comfort. Um, I set it in the stand to, um, to, to, you know, to, to tune up and get ready. I turned on the amp, didn't realize the volume was up on the guitar. The thing started feeding back. It's this mean, aggressive guitar and it just feels amazing. It's built for speed. I absolutely love it. So I really think there's something to that because I mean, you know, I've known a lot of people that have gone through guitars over and over and over, over the years. But it seems most people will finally find that one and stick with it. I mean, think about artists who are identifiable. What would Ace Freely be without a Les Paul? Um, what would Chuck Berry be without that double cutaway Gibson that he plays? Even uh, Ted Nugent, for the first part of his career, with the was it the ES-137, I think that was, that hollow body that he played. You know, the guitar becomes very identifiable. And you have to wonder why. Did they choose it just because of the crazy shape? You know, or is there something more to it? I like to think there's something more to it, and that's why I love that guitar. And, um, you know, that's probably why Hamill has his guitar. He's, you know, had it for so many years and even wrote a song about it called Seven Seas. It's really a love song, almost a ballad of sorts, dedicated to his guitar. Now, uh, from the couple songs that you've heard, don't think that it's a ballad in the traditional sense of the word ballad. This is Hamill we're talking about, so there's definitely a twist, and it's a highly, highly entertaining song. You're going to love it. But anyway, so that ends my little rant about guitars, and now we'll get into our next segment here with Scott Thompson of uh, the Focus on Metal podcast. All right, so as you know, I am part of the Cast Iron Ring, www.castironring.com, um, and as a part of the ring, we have a ton of other podcasts that are out there that are great. I talk about radioactive metal all the time on this show. Um, they just had their 200th episode, um, and... Me and John over at Iron City Rocks, as well as a lot of the other guys in the ring, have all contributed little parts to it. We had a blast doing our little segments for that, and we're just really glad that Radioactive Metal could make it to 200. But so they're one of the shows. Focus on Metal is another show that I've talked about here. And uh, one of the hosts of that show, Scott of Focus on Metal, he is a gearhead like I am. Um, he builds guitars. He's a recording engineer. Um, he just, I don't know how he finds the time to do all the stuff that he does. So... We were talking, I think it was over email, um, and the subject came up, and he started talking about he uses the Amp Simulator, or uh, yeah, I guess Amp Simulator, Emulator Software, whatever you want to call it, the plugin, um, Revolver by PV. Now, I'm an Amplitude guy. I know a lot of other people like to use the other one. What's the Native, oh, native Instruments Guitar Rig? Um, and I've never given PV that much of a look. And he was talking about it, and I'd heard good things about it. Devin Townsend of the Devin Townsend Project, previously Strapping Young Lad, um, uses it as well. And so I'm thinking, I'm like, well, maybe I should give it a try. When Scott said he had it, I said, hey, would you want to do a segment for the show? So he does. So this next segment is Scott talking about Revolver. And I can tell you, after listening to this segment, 
I will be looking for Revolver software this year. I will definitely be picking up a copy so I can get some of these amp sounds because I think it sounds great. I really, really think it sounds great. In fact, I started using the PV Amp Kit software on my iPad, which I'll talk about eh, probably in an upcoming episode here somewhere. I want to experiment with it a little bit more. Uh, but I, I, I love it. I love the sounds, and I'm impressed at the ease of use. So without further ado, we'll get into Scott's segment on Revolver. <laughs> What you just heard there was a little guitar riffing done with Revolver HP by PV, a uh, guitar amp simulator. Hey, this is Scott Thompson, the host of the Focus on Metal podcast, along with being a uh, longtime recording engineer. I'm also a self-avowed gearhead, and I always like to try all kinds of new stuff whenever I can. So with that in mind, Aaron has graciously invited me to come on the show and do a quick review of Revolver by PV. And of course, most of you out there know of the big two of guitar amp simulators, that being Amplitube and also Native Instruments Guitar Rig. But uh, there's also a lot of smaller ones out there, and the Revolver is one of these ones that is a smaller, lesser-known one that uh, actually is pretty cool, and it comes in two versions. It comes in the HP version, which I'm reviewing today, as well as the Mach 3.5 version which is uh, the kind of the higher-end version, and it kind of breaks down like this. The HP version has six amp simulations. The Mach 3 has 20. The Mach 3 has another 12 preamps you can play with. In the HP version, you've got four power amps you can use. In the other version, you got nine. You have 10 stomp boxes versus 21, 11 rack effects versus 12, and then in the speaker simulations, you have 75 speaker simulations in the HP version, and you have 150 speaker emulations in the uh, bigger Mach 3 version. And of course, speaker emulations are pretty cool. They use a lot of the convolution uh, algorithms to actually make all of that stuff work. And the difference in the price, basically you're going to pay about 70 bucks street for the HP version and uh, around $250 for the Mach 3 version. And obviously you can get it that if you buy the HP version and you want to upgrade, you can actually upgrade right through the program and get the Mach 3 version. So it breaks down pretty cool. And uh, as far as formats, you know, it does real-time audio suite format. It does audio units as well as VST. So good plug-in stuff there. And it also works as a standalone version as well. And for like the HP one, it's called uh, Revolver HP Live. And you could actually just bring your computer to the gig, hook the thing up, you know, direct box out to the PA and boom, without even having an amp, just use this to play uh, for the gig. As far as uh, as far as resource hits, you know, you really need about a one gigahertz processor, minimum 512 of RAM and for uh, for Mac, you want it to be uh, a little higher than 10.4, and on Windows, it's going to be either uh, XP or 2000 or greater as far as what you need for hardware and all that good stuff. As for me, I'm currently running it on a Mac, running uh, System 10.68. It's a 27-inch iMac, one of the new models, and uh, basically I have zero resource hits while running this in a digital audio workstation, whether it be Logic or a Quick Deal in GarageBand. Um, it runs it runs really, really great, installed excellent, no issues there at all, and there's no kind of iLock keys or anything else involved because quick registration with PV and you're good to go. So let's dig into a little bit to some of the bits and pieces. So obviously, like I said, on the HP version, there's a lot less stuff than you have in the Mach 3, but still, it's actually a pretty functional program, and I actually picked this up because I had a client coming in, and they are known for the sound that they do through with the PV6505 head, and uh, I didn't really have in the other two amps and simulators 
a really good rendition of the 6505. So I figured why not go right to the source? If you're gonna try to model a PV amp, why not just get the PV amp simulator and see how it goes? So I picked this thing up basically for that session and I'm pretty happy that I did. Although he did like that one, to be honest, he actually liked the sound of, of one of my uh, tube heads here in the studio instead and opted for that. But you know, this is kind of one of those instances where you buy something for a session and you don't end up using it, but it works out well. You end up with a new tool in your toolbox and you come out ahead with a little something extra to uh, you know go towards your gear acquisition syndrome sickness that I have. And uh, of course, the funny thing was, was he even brought a 6505 head. It never left his car. He he came in, he listened to the what I had to offer with the revolver, with the other amp simps. Uh, he kind of had a good idea about what he would want with the revolver. We kind of went with that for a little while. Then he went over and said, hey, can I try your head instead? And I uh, ended up ultimately going through one of my big tube heads instead and actually never brought a 6505 in. And actually, ever since then, any project we've ever done, he's actually used my head instead of the 6505. Uh, which is just kind of weird. But uh, but anyways, you know, I ended up with this pretty cool tool end of the day. As far as amps, like I said, it has a 6505. It has a 6505 plus. So you have your two big classic metal amps because as we all know, hush, hush, the 6505 was really the 5150. Also, you get the uh, classic 30, which is, you know, something that's been around for a while in the PV lineup. And so if you're recording, you know, especially country folks, classic rock stuff, Classic 30 is really good for that. I was also happy that it has the JSX model, which was the uh, the Joe Satriani model as well. So that was pretty cool. I had fun with that. And also the Triple X model, which is not as well known a PV model, but I can tell you that George Lynch did play the Triple X for a while. So there's a stamp of approval on that one. And also they have one of their newer ones, the Valve King on there as well. So those are the the main six amps that you can model on that. And then from that, you can tack onto them whether you want to have any kind of the different speakers that you want, as well as the microphone going with the speaker and do you want the microphone on axis or off axis and uh, you can play a lot with the speaker sim to get them to sound just the way you want so it's pretty cool then you go on to the stomp boxes and they have a bunch of different ones here so they have like a ts9 version they call it greener and uh, then they have a chorus and a compressor and they have a another one that mimics the uh, the old marshall governor and they call it the sheriff so they have different ones in there that you can uh, different stomp boxes and also a Good little complement of rack effects in there as well. You know, EQs and compressors and stuff like that. And then also they have some different tools they throw in there. So you get a tuner, some a leveler and frequency analyzer. And then if you kind of want to start to play with your own stuff and build like presets up, you can throw on like add a tone stack to an amp or add a triode tube to amps some things like that. So it's, it's pretty cool. It's very versatile to what you want to do. And uh, like I said, you can, you can build up a set of of amps and effects and put everything together and get it all signed in the way you want and then save it as a preset. So of course, building presets is very intuitive. You just basically go and saying, yeah, I want to grab this, that, or the other thing and just putting it into the into a rack that's in front of you and organizing it to how you want to have the signal change go. It's kind of like Reason used to be where you would set things up except you're not flipping the rack around and changing connections. But um, yeah, it's just very simple, very intuitive and you can play with things, turn things on and off, change all the different levels and all that. And it's kind of almost like mucking around with an analog uh, rack of stuff. So so like I said, very easy to build and very simple to save presets and get them all organized for what you want to do. And obviously, if you know, you're know you listening to Aaron's show here and uh, you know, you're know you a fan of signals and noise and you probably are a big fan of reamping as well, and uh, this is definitely will fit into your reamping plans, you know. So basically, you know, I always like to do that on sessions is record and sometimes you know you the 
the player wants something that will respond to the way they're playing. So it's good to have, like I said, either you're miking something or whatever. But when using a sim, you could use them, put one sim in their monitors, they're all happy. But I always take a second feed of this, the direct guitar sound, put that on an empty track, and I can use that to reamp. So after the fact, you can, you know, that night they left and, you're, and you can play around with your simulators and try to come up with a new sound that you think they might like even better. It saves a lot of time and tension in the studio because you can do it after the fact and you know you've printed kind of the straight guitar performance with nothing on it as well and then one that they thought they were happy with when they left. So reamping is great and Revalver is a great tool to have in your reamping toolbox. So of course, you know, that's kind of the quick rundown of the features and stuff, but let's kind of give you some sound. So I'm just going to do a few things with a couple of different guitar and a couple of different amps and give you kind of a quick synopsis of how some of these things sound so you can decide if it's it's for you or not. And of course, I'm hoping you're not expecting any kind of virtuoso playing because it ain't happening. I haven't even picked a guitar up in about two weeks. But uh, this is just going to give you just a brief synopsis of how some of these sounds sound. You can kind of decide, hey, I like that or I don't like that. And Maybe you can use it or not. So obviously the first one that I did was uh, the 6505 model, and I was using uh, my Joe Perry Les Paul through that on the bridge pickup. So, you know, good humbucker thing, plenty of tone going through there, and uh, it just had a really good dynamic on that. So uh, a good tone there. But let's move on to another tone. <laughs> classic double stop riff there and that was done with my uh, DHJ Guitar Works uh, Super Strat which is uh, actually the brand of guitars that I actually manufacture and that one there has uh, got a Seymour Duncan Custom 5 in there so a very high gain pickup and I put that through to the uh, the Valve King and that's what you get out of that one there so uh, high output humbucker through the Valve King got a kind of a really good classic rock tone you can easily dial that puppy in <laughs> Believe it or not, that uh, ACDC kind of sound was actually done with my Strat through the Valve King. And uh, just kind of pretty cool because you always think of ACDC with Malcolm with the modified Gresh or Angus with an SG. But that's, you know, you're always talking Hummingbucker territory. But that's actually a single coil pickup through the Valve King and giving you this really nice ACDC sound, which would sit good in a live mix with any band because that would just be on its own little frequency right there. And it's got a good resonance. And you can obviously hear as you attack the strings, you get that good responsiveness out of the amp model, which is really what you want. You want to have that kind of natural tube into interaction and I kind of like that little preset that I came up with that like I said gives you kind of instant ACDC sound. <laughs> See, that was the classic 30 right there. Just a quick, simple setup. I mean, it was literally like select it, pop in that one cab in there, boom, hit the strat and go right ahead and get kind of that classic stone sound out of the 30, which is what you'd expect. And that definitely gives you that no must, no fuss. It's just there. And, uh, you know, whether you were going to lay something down on a recording with that or live, like that was just dirt simple. Took me you know, literally under a minute to just pop that tone together and have it there. All right, so there's kind of a quick rundown of all the different things you can do with PV's Revolver HP. 
And uh, so my final summation on it is the fact that I think it's pretty easy to operate, really easy to get into, lots of good stuff. You can really either keep it on the surface or dig deep and really start to muck around with your tones and get some cool things. Now on the minus side, the tuner is crappy in my opinion anyways, it uh, reacts too quickly and it's just kind of a real pain in the ass to use as opposed to your own standalone tuner. So I would say go with the tuner you know or you know, always if you're working cross country and people are gonna be doing it with uh, you know different, different locations, different spots, and definitely you wanna use the tuner that's built into your audio workstation instead. So like I said, yeah, I'm not crazy about the tuner and some of the models can be um, a little bit a little bit noisy. You know, There is a gate on there and I also you know noticed from my own experience that when you bring one of these any of these models up, the first thing is the output is almost always pegged. So you always have to drop the output down a little bit. Otherwise you kind of just, it gets too much of a, of a noise artifact going there. Another downside, um, you know, maybe not so much for me because I don't do a lot of stuff with extreme, extreme metal tones, but there isn't, you know, easily accessible uh, tones out of here for kind of extreme metal stuff. So if you're looking for doing that kind of more modern, you know, cookie-based extreme metal, then this may not be, you know, the exact cup of tea that you're looking for, even though it does have the 6505 Plus and it does have the Triple uh, X and you can kind of mech around with it some more. And, you know, maybe if you're really good and you're knowledgeable, you want to spend the time, you can get this to get you some pretty cool stuff, but just right out of the box, easily accessible, you're not going to actually be able to just dime right in to kind of that extreme metal tone, but classic metal, 80s metal, you know, country, rock, pop, all of that, you can pretty much get there. So for a project studio, uh, definitely a, a good package. And also remember, you know, that being said about having to dig in or spend some time, I mean, this is a tool and like any tool you're going to use, the more you use it and the more you gain more knowledge about it, the better it becomes and the more you kind of understand everything that it does. So obviously this one out of the gate, it's pretty easy to use, but as you spend time with it and you realize how all the things are interplay with each other, the more time you spend just kind of mucking around with it and learning it and really just kind of experiencing it, the better it will become and the more useful I think it ends up being for the recording. And you know, like some of the engineers will tell you too, sometimes you know, it isn't going for that one particular model to get the sound you're looking for. You may be able to get the sound you really have in your head, not from the one you think it is, but from another one. So a lot of good playing you can do with this one here. You know, is it my top number one when I go to uh, to do a guitar and I don't want to just mic up an amp? No, that's usually Amplitude, but uh, definitely this is definitely a pretty good pretty good simulator. And for, you know, 70 bucks street, if you haven't already invested in something like Amplitude or Guitar Rig, it definitely gets you into the amp sim game and lets you see whether or not it's something you'd want to do. And like I said, ramp, toolbox, all that good stuff. Definitely, if I had the choice, I would have bought it again. So that'll do it. Quick wrap of PV Revolver HP. Uh, once again, Scott Thompson and back to you, Aaron. <laughs> back so i want to thank scott again for doing that segment on revolver again i love it i will definitely be getting that software um scott has also agreed to come on the show here sometime in the future we have some things we want to talk about i do not want to divulge at this time because scheduling is always a challenge um when you have guys who are busy doing other things and also our parents which we both are so lots of stuff going on, um, but hopefully you're going to get to hear Scott's voice on this show again here in the near future, and we'll talk about all our geeked out gear obsession. All right, so um, before we go, I want to talk about one other thing. I think I mentioned on a show before, but it's SoundCloud, soundcloud.com. Um, it ties into that PV Amp Kit software I talked about earlier. Well, PV ties into it, rather, uh, to, so you can share sounds. But in a nutshell, um, I was just messing around with it not too long ago with my, one of my amps just trying to record some things 
threw, threw my iPhone down, hit record, posted it to SoundCloud, and it's pretty neat. I was messing around trying to learn um, where the streets have no name from YouTube's The Joshua Tree. It's a neat service. I'm following record labels out there, so I'm getting different songs from bands, and it's a great way for a young band or a young artist of any any sort to post their songs, interconnect with their audience, and, you know, just noodle around and have a good time, which is what I was doing with it. So check out SoundCloud.com. Remember, CastIronRing.com. Check out all the great shows that we have there. Too many for me to mention right now. Um, but there's just so many, so many great shows going on there every day. Something new is coming up. Um, don't forget to uh, hit me up on Twitter, SGNL, the number 2NZ. And then same for my Facebook uh, page, Facebook.com slash SGNL, the number 2NZ. And until next time, make some noise.